Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to Deconstructive Criticism. I am Aaron Flam. This episode's guest is, once again, comedian Yoshi Obayashi. As you might remember from last week's episode with Yoshi and Chris Breaker, technical difficulties made me record three episodes with Yoshi. The first one is beyond salvation, I'm afraid, but the last one, which you will hear in a minute, is even funnier and more interesting than the previous one. Here we once again visit Yoshi's brain and delve deeper into his morbid interests. But first, a giant thank you to you who sponsors this podcast, whether it's on Patreon at patreon.com slash aaronflam, patreon.com slash aaronflam, via PayPal with Bitcoin, or on Swish, 0046 768 943737. 0046 768 943737. You are truly a capitalist hero. You can also support me by buying my book, This is a Swedish Tiger, on Amazon. The book landed me in court for years as the Swedish state prosecuted me for selling and distributing it. I also want to inform you that next week we are visited by Dr. Magnus Norell to talk about the situation in the Middle East and the Swedish Quran burning that has garnered quite a bit of ire from the Muslim world. And the week after, Magnus will appear again to talk about Russia. The reason being that we first recorded a podcast about Russia and Ukraine this week, but then the situation with the Muslim world's response to the Quran burnings escalated to ridiculous levels when Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, publicly said that Sweden had declared war on the Muslim world, which both me and Magnus felt garnered a response. We will also talk about the Israeli judicial reform that has now passed the Israeli parliament Knesset, the peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia by Chinese diplomacy, and more. You will therefore hear two episodes in reverse order, beginning with the one about the Middle East, which will be recorded later, the same day as I'm recording this message to you. Now, 
Yoshio Bayashi is an American comedian. Originally, he is Sainichi Korean, that is, Korean having been born and raised in Japan. Today, he is an American citizen based in Los Angeles, California, but constantly on the road. After graduating from the Evergreen State College, Yoshi entered the adult entertainment industry in Seattle for prestigious and controversial studio Evil Angel Productions as a DVD producer and has produced 800-plus titles. During his time in the industry, he's worked with Hall of Fame directors John Stagliano, Rocco Sifredi, John Leslie, Joey Silvera, and Christoph Clark. Yoshi has also been involved in casting and finding talents for shows such as Jimmy Kimmel Live and The Man Show with Joe Rogan and Doug Stanhope. And he has consulted for two seasons on Dave's Old Porn for Showtime. In addition, and this is how we know each other, Yoshi is also a stand-up comedian and has opened for legends such as Dave Attell, Russell Peters, Jim Norton, Pablo Francisco and more. You may have seen Yoshi in NBC's Last Comic Standing and Showtime's Comics Without Borders. For the last couple of years, Yoshi has been traveling all over the world to locations such as Afghanistan, Stockholm and Morocco. If you want to see more of Yoshi, I strongly recommend that you go see him at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, where he will perform in his one-man show, Adult Content. In this episode, we talk about Yoshi's obsession with the super-rich and serial killers. Also, did his father kill himself or was he murdered? Enjoy. Right. I don't know what's number four? Something like that, Okay. Yeah which is a, a lucky number in Asian culture. Yeah, it's you know. death. And uh, Japanese and Chinese. Did you say third time? Uh, what? You said third time is the charm? Yes. I yes. Did. I think President Trump is saying that too. Uh, you, you mean a court, but He's running for the third time. Is he? I thought it was second time. No, that is. It's he time. lost the second one, but yeah. this is his third time. All right. So yeah. let's, let's see if he, he can make it this time, though. I can't remember. We had President Garfield. I think it was Garfield. He won one term, lost, came back, won again. I believe he's the only... Um... Only president to have done that. Yes. Just give me a second. I need my schnooze. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> so I am back because I volunteered to um, give my C up for Delta Airlines. They compensate me very well. So I'm here for one extra day. and. Just you, you made more money getting bumped off of Delta than we did uh, on this gig. Yes, that is true. So since we're doing this again for the third time, uh, we're in Memphis. Yes, Tennessee. You're, you're responsible for me being here. Uh, you invited me to yeah. Freedom Fest in Memphis 2023. It was very successful because I knew you were going to do well for multiple reasons. Stand up and uh, you're clearly very smart. But even smart people are not necessarily good conversationalists or say something interesting. And um, it really helps that you're smart, but also comedian, because when you're a comic, you have a high tolerance for absurdity and nonsense. And uh, hence, when you go to conventions like this, you meet a lot of oddballs, but also you find it incredibly interesting and uh, sometimes lifelong friends. So I think it was worth it. Christian was excellent too. And uh, I looked great. The people that I recommended did very well uh, they enjoyed it a lot. You guys are professional. You didn't cause any sort of problems, so that's great. I'm going to be living off of this gig for quite some time. I mean, uh, I had a great set. Dog Stanhope kissed me on the mouth yes. when I 
came down from stage. He asked me for consent first. He was yeah. like, do I have your consent to kiss you on the mouth? Yeah. So uh, this is probably going to, I'm going to be surfing on, on, on this feeling for a year. Good. But I hope you go back and be consistent, do more shows back, you know. And uh, I mean, we already talked about this. I don't know how comfortable you are, but I, um, it would be a thrill to see you and your family move to Texas, you know, Austin, because there's so many interesting things that are happening there. It's a collision course of comedy. Obviously, the music is a big part, politics, and um, pat- podcasters, you know. And uh, also, you have, uh, is it University of Austin? Yes. Okay, so this is new because um, I can't name all the names, but uh, like Rob Henderson's and a bunch of other people like that who are not traditional professors. And they're, they strikes me more unorthodox, unwoke, professors trying to do something different. And I think this is great. I love, what is that word that um, Chomsky, or was it John Galbraith to use, countervailing force. So I like people who are contrarian and think differently. And I love what's going on in Texas, you know. Yes, the pendulum is swinging back now. Yeah, and if you watch one of Anthony Bourdain's episode of Parts Unknown, the Houston episode was one of the best episodes, I think, according to Critic. and. Houston's very interesting. They're saying like within the next 40 to 50 years, America's going to look exactly what's going on in Houston, which is racially diverse, you know. I did not know. Yeah, Houston is, it really is the, uh, the history, future of America. And also, there's maybe, I read enough demographic change. Texas is going to be more, what is the color of this? It's not blue or red. Purple-ish? I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's almost hybrid of both conservative and liberalism. It's more moderate, I think, reasonable, I think, because the things that are going on in the East Coast and West Coast are just unreasonable to me, in my opinion. Yeah, well, yeah. you're from Japan. Were your family socialist? No, I don't think so, because I think, uh, I think more than anything, I think they were more a pragmatist, you know. My family's a Zainichi ethnic Koreans living in Japan, so I think they don't want to get too much attention to themselves, but... Um, one of my aunt used to have, I mean, I could talk about it, they don't do it anymore, but one of my aunt had uh, illegal gambling business, and you do that by bribing the local police, and um, you work with the local mobs. And, Yakuza. Yeah, and, and uh, Yakuza, which stands for Yakuza, which is 893, which makes 20. 20 is the worthless number in gambling. In, in other words, Yakuza are basically worthless member of society. And... Um, I have a sympathy for them because I'm ethnically Korean and I don't remember the exact year, 1925 or 26, sorry, I just don't know exactly the year. The great Kanto earthquake, Kanto is the region known uh, area of Tokyo and Yokohama. They had a massive earthquake, just catastrophic. And shortly after the earthquake, uh, within a few hours, I think, maybe a day, people were spreading ugly rumors about Koreans going around murdering, looting and raping people. So there was massive lynching against Koreans. And I think um, the number of the key people who were killed within the 10 days, next 10 to 14 days, it's pretty much comparable how many black people lynched in America from 1865 to like 1930s or something like that. How many is that? I don't know, between eight to 10,000 people. And only one group, the police either ignore, pretend not to do anything about it, or they were actively killing Koreans, my understanding. And there's one particular group went out of their way to help the Koreans, which is Yakuza. Why? 
because I think maybe that's a, their way of uh, recruiting members, but also um, I'm sure they have their own reasons, but I, I think, well, I think they already have Koreans a member in Yakuza, I think, as it is, but I think... Um, so the Yakuza is really one of the more tolerant parts of Japanese society. I, don't, I, I think because they're such a uh, pariah, they can be too picky about who they could um, recruit. I mean, I know there's some Chinese, Taiwanese, and like other ethnic group, but I think the Koreans are the biggest non-Japanese group within Yakuza, I think. And anybody interested to learn more, they should read Jake Adelstein's book, Tokyo Vice, which is turned into HBO special. Um, I haven't seen it. Yeah, Jake is a Jewish American from St. Louis, went to Japan like early 90s, I think. And he wanted to learn more about um, anime and karate and judo and things like that. But eventually he realized he had an aptitude for Japanese. Sorry if I don't have the right um, background, but that's the gist I remember. And he was the first non-Japanese to win um, newspaper job for the most prestigious newspaper in Japan. I think I saw the trailer. Hmm? I think I saw the trailer, but okay. I haven't seen the actual Fantastic. series. Fantastic. I never met him. We have a couple of mutual friends. And when I asked him about, you know, sometimes in Japan, they'll murder someone but make it look like a suicide. And I asked him uh, via Twitter, he said, unfortunately, they do do that. So I told him the situation with my dad. But yeah, you know, there's... Um, Can you explain that situation to our listeners? Oh, so uh, they found... I got, a, I got an email August of 2003, which is 20 years next month. And today's what, July 17 or something like that, 16. And uh, one of my family members emailed me. The email just said, Papa dead. Not, not sort of informed you your father's dead. You know, it's just that's, that's how my family is. But um, yeah, my, my father was dead uh, most likely August. They found his body in early August. Maybe he was dead in July, but we have no idea. Suicide is what they said. But my stepmother was doing all kinds of terrible things. I don't want to get too detailed because I talk about this so many times on like Joe Rogan or whatever, but to give a short uh, version, my, they found my father's body August 2003. We don't know if it was suicide or murder. I went to Japan for my dad's funeral. I assaulted a bunch of people, including my stepmother, and I didn't return to Japan until March of this year because Russell Peters' brother wanted to visit Japan and I couldn't say no to famous, famous comedian Russell Peters' older brother because they have done so much, so I went. But uh, it just worked out, I didn't get in trouble. But um, going back to Edelstein, he was kind enough to answer my question. He pretty much confirmed what I always thought, which is if you live in a country, the suicide is pretty common and, and it's kind of, they think it's normal. And I, I got the feeling that similar in Scandinavia perhaps, but, um, so it's easy to murder someone. I'm not saying he was murdered. I, I don't know. That's the part that bugs me. It, it, in, in best scenario, it's a suicide. In the worst scenario, he was murdered, you know. And neither of them are really good scenarios. No. And I, I, I wanted to tell you, so last couple of days you were, I really enjoy it because I like helping people that I get, uh, get along. I enjoy you and Adil in Sweden. Christian, I, 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 I've known him uh, only a year or two. I'm just going to explain to the listeners that Christian is a Swiss comedian, Christian yeah. Breaker, and he was with us here. He would opened up the show. Yes, very good. And um, I enjoy introducing friends that I get along with my other friends. 
I don't want to mention the person's name, but there was a, a person within our group. This person's son killed himself a couple years back because he went to some website and it's a controversial website. I'm not exactly what. And somebody found out that he went to this website trying to blackmail him. And I think he felt ashamed and embarrassed and didn't want to put embarrassment to his parents. So he uh, deliberately killed himself. So I think, um, I don't bring it up, you know, but uh, I'm well aware when I'm hanging out with him that uh, he had his share of grief, suicide, and so did I, you know. But I think, um, I think it's worse for him because he, his son was a lot younger. And I think it was something that was extremely preventable. And I think uh, whatever he was ashamed, I think, I don't think it, it warranted death, you know. I don't care what it is. Um, you, you could overcome that. And besides, somebody's trying to blackmail you. No, you got to fight back with that shit, you know. So we live in a strange time with this uh, shaming and uh, bullying and, you know. Um, bullying? Oh, sorry, I'm not saying it. When, when a bunch of kids are picking on you, you know. Yes. So uh, tonight we're doing a gig. Yeah, it's open mic. So because I didn't go back to Washington State, I made a decision to stay the night because I was compensated. And I thought, you know, since you're here for another day, why not do another pod? And even the one where you recorded half, I still think you should release it like a funny bonus thing, you know, because anybody's interested, <laughs> they could listen to it. They could infer by my answer, probably the questions, you know, but I think I mentioned a previous podcast I work in porn business editing, and sometimes we put up bonus footage where it's not particularly good scene and or interesting, but why throw that away? Because some, someone might, might see, see some value to it, you know? But so, you used to work yeah. in porn. You don't work in porn. No, I, I, do, I do some consultation when people randomly call me about or text, email. What do you mean consultation? I mean, I know you're working on that book, right? There's a professor at... Was it University of Washington or Georgetown? He, he, he lives in D.C. He's writing, Kareem Sadajapur is writing a book about sexual proclivities of terrorists. I'm working on another documentary about a guy named Contusion. He was one of the worst pornographers in the 90s and early 2000s. And the lady that is part of that documentary now, Alexis Linklater, her grandfather is a very famous uh, TV programmer. She did a podcast about Long Island serial killer, and he was captured two, three days ago. So, you know, fortuitous. She finished that uh, podcast like year, year and a half ago. So I just noticed even like yesterday and today, people, the media is just kind of talking to her because she did a very extensive, very uh, well-made podcast about that. But when you make a serial killer a true crime, you never know if it ever get resolved, solved. But uh, this is really great that it finally happened. He Did stopped, you listen to it? Yeah, I listened to it. He, he, uh, because my friend Lucas, who originated this idea about doing the podcast about contusion, somehow he met through one of his friends, Alexis, and when they talk, they uh, great chemistry. She definitely have a really good technical, and as a showrunner, I guess a documentary version, she's really good at it, uh, covering crimes. So Lucas did a movie called uh, Mope, it's a movie about, there's African-American, Asian-American, Chinese porn star 10, 11 years ago, 
Uh, what? African American, Japanese American, or Chinese American? Chinese American and this African American. That black guy's name, something dri driver, and I forgot the Chinese porn star, but mope is a porn term for one of the worst, worthless performers. They usually kind of sit it around after the main star have sex with a girl, they get blowjob or something. They're just really like open micers of porn. And what happened was um, the black guy lost his mind and they were trying to kick him out at uh, one of the porn warehouse. And he refused to leave and he got so angry, he grabbed a samurai sword and tried to kill this white guy that, who owned the uh, porn company and this Chinese American porn star trying to intervene, trying to stop. Unfortunately, he was stabbed to death with a samurai sword. And Lucas made a movie about this. It's a pretty decent movie. You know, they, 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 I think Showtime bought it. Showtime also bought my documentary, Pornemic. And it's a small circles of people who work in porn business and or people who try to make some career or money from retailing porn stories or documentaries, you know. So anytime anyone's trying to do anything porn, eventually they'll find my name because enough people know my name in LA. I'm not an expert, but you know, just know a bunch of show business people from stand-up and other entertainment parts. So they call me and I've been assisting him with that. But anytime there's like a TV or movies covering you were adult excellent. business. You were excellent on stage, by the way. And I really liked your joke about uh, George Floyd. Oh, no, you, why, you, why, you want me to talk about that? Well, no, I, we, we, we could skip it. Uh, I don't want you to get in trouble. With, um, for what? I'm already in trouble. Don't okay. worry about me, Yoshi. Uh, so uh, he was, according to you, a porn actor. Yeah, he he was making movies. I think he was making amateur porn in Houston, Texas. Ironic, we were just talking about um, yeah. Houston. They call him Houston. The future of America. Yeah, they were calling Houston Floyd. I was just telling people that um, there was a scene he's having sex with this beautiful black girl, and he's a pretty good performer. In fact, if he were to stick around, I think he could have done more porn later on. But uh, one scene where she's sitting on his face a little too long, so he had to push her away and say, I can't breathe. That was the gist of the story that I told on stage. Of course, I said it day before that the verdict on the cop who murdered him. And, Derek Chauvin. Yeah. And uh, nobody laughs gasping there there's one black lady in the room you know but um i don't do it to like try to hurt people but i, I do like pushing the envelope you know it's almost like a tight rope walker walking across one building at another there is a thrill and danger when you do stuff like that but yeah i think most of young comedians are like they're so fearful you know because i've seen you before i've seen you perform before but only in sweden yeah and, and the swedish audience Let's say they didn't like you much. I don't think so. No. No. I mean, there's a few times I had a really good show, but those are usually I am playing very coy and trying to be charming, but those are not really fun for me. I, I think the reason I say that, because I think some comedians get tired of saying same shit over and over, so they want to try something different. And I think this happened to you too. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, you have idea, some idea for premise pop in your head. You're excited because you want to kind of go out and figure out if I could say this right, you know? And especially when you think something funny and try the first time and the audience love it, man, just very few things, few things in life better than that, you know? And, and if it doesn't quite work out the way you think, 
they should, you work a couple more time, kind of readjust and figure out how to present it, you know. And it usually works, usually, but I think, especially a young person, you're afraid of silence and you want to be liked, you want to have a momentum, then, you know, you get nervous or you just keep writing the material that they, they will just laugh for sure. But uh, we worked with Stanhope a couple of days ago and first time I saw him, Comedy Underground in Seattle, man, it, it, he, he was fearless, just, just outrageous and um, just um, powerful performer and a thinker, you know. Yeah. And, uh, He's unfazed by that stuff. Yes, and now we're here in one of the, I think, second or third most dangerous cities in statistically, the, yeah, yeah, for the sure. United States, yeah, and and we're going to some place where for, it's four miles. No, it's like fourteen miles. No, no, the club is four miles away. Okay, yeah, but yeah. it's not in this part of town, the touristy part. It's like yeah, it, I don't think it's that bad because I think. The the person I ask is the gal I met a couple of days ago doing show. She's a teacher, white, attractive and young, and I don't think she would go dangerous place. And I seen I seen a poster for it. It, it just seemed like retarded version of Wes Anderson movies or something, you know. So it's it's one of those hipster room. I bet you, if anything, I think we should be fine. But I thought, you know, I I I'm not going home tonight. I could have gone to hotel and just stayed there all day, I guess. But I figure since you're here. Maybe they do a quick pod and do the show and maybe even grab something afterwards. And that's that, you know. Then what, you leave three o'clock in the morning? Yeah, 3.30. Okay, yeah. I already booked an Uber. I'm gonna try and talk him into passing by Graceland so I can get a pick before I board the plane. Yeah. I don't think, I've been told you, you're not gonna see much and it's not particularly good. It's not a bad, but it's not the best area. But if you're leaving like that early in the morning, I have a hard time believing that Monday morning, that early in the morning, we're not talking Friday or Saturday night, so it should be fine. So you're going to Edinburgh next month? Yeah. For the first time? I've been there before. This is the first time performing. I, I'm... Hmm. Your show is called Adult Content. Yes. It's about your years in the pornography business. Y y yes, but just like... Sopranos, I guess technically it's about mob, but it was something bigger than that. Family and mental illness and other um, chaotic things. I thought it was really interesting there when Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick, somebody who read his book later on um, told him like he was really pleased with all the religious references and symbolism. And here's one of the genius of American great novel, didn't even realize he was doing that, right? So. I wanted to do something different, and I was originally I was thinking about writing a book, but I'm just not a writer. I, I do have a friend re-edit everything I write, but it's, it's not really my thing. I was I started writing during the height of COVID, 2020, and I didn't really make connection until I was thinking recently. My dad died August of 2003. 2003. Next next month is 20 year anniversary. And I think um, there is a lot of reference to adult business. And, and I think some of the stories will um, give you a better glimpse of my personality or whatnot, or lack of it sometimes. But I've been telling friends that uh, the first time I saw that phrase, adult content, I misunderstood. I thought it meant adult happiness, as in adult content. Yes. So. Well, they're not too far apart, are they? No. 
I think if you come from broken home and chaotic lifestyle, you have to go elsewhere to find some kind of stability or happiness, you know. I just happened from young age, knew a lot of sex workers and people who work in that world, and they were way more kind to me. And I don't necessarily think my parents went out of there to be cruel, but I think they just had so much problem growing up, and it was never resolved, you know. And I think sometimes they neglect their kids because I think they were, they were just couldn't handle what was going on with their lives. So that's what happened. And you grew up in Japan. You grew up in Japan. Yeah. Osaka. Osaka, yeah. So this was the red light district of Osaka. My, my, where I, where I grew up, if you ever see the movie Tony Scott made, Black Rain. Yeah, with, I did, with Michael Douglas. Yeah, um, there's a scene when uh, Northwest Airlines flying over and you, they're flying over this bridge and, and, and uh, both of the entrance of the plane have a circular thing like this to attach. F looking from over um, plane, it looked like a gigantic glasses. And I was born probably less than a mile from there and my home was basically like a couple blocks from there. So, um, wait, why, why am I talking about, oh yeah, that's my hometown, and um, um, I would just... Um, that was your hometown. Also, you're, Japan, yeah. You're, a, you're an American now. Yeah, yeah, um, but that's where I grew up, and within mile, mile and a half from uh, my house is a, um, one of the two largest red light district, you know, and I don't think we have a, that big of a stigma compared to the West with the sex works and things like that. And I just thought when I met people like that, they're just... The Japanese don't really feel a sense of shame when it comes to sex. I mean, this is not something they should be proud or anything, but I don't think they have the same level of shame like Westerners. I My, remember when I went to Japan, I just figured uh, you have a really strange relationship with fish and sweet creatures. Yeah. Because every sign you pass, even though it's not a sushi restaurant, it's fish-shaped or octopus-shaped. Yeah. And I'm, I very much doubt that the creatures of the sea feel the same way about the Japanese that the Japanese feel about them. <laughs> that's, you know, I, 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 it's a, that stuff is always interesting because, it, um, for example, if, if, you, if you play the games, if you're old enough to remember Space Invader. I am. Yeah. The alien was pretty much based on like slimy monsters from the ocean. It was created by the Japanese, you know. And if you talk to Stephen King, he said the greatest horror writer is H.P. Lovecraft. And he was a racist. And, and for some really weird reason, he married a Jewish woman. And he was living in New York City because he's from originally Providence, Rhode Island. And he talked about fear. And there are many different kinds of fear, but the worst one is fear of unknown. And one thing he learned living in New York City is that there's one particular group he was completely afraid of, which was Chinese. Because when they went, when he went to Lower Manhattan and saw the Chinese, they are they spoke alien language, they look alien, and they ate disgusting, according to him, and uh, um, alien food. And I think if you go to chi modern Chinatown, all kinds of really weird, weird food that smells and look weird. But the main ones like the seafood, and he saw all kinds of slimy fish, mm -hmm. octopus-like, squid-like. Well, if you look at H.P. Lovecraft's monster, Cthulhu, it looked like a giant octopus. And, you know, I think, yeah, for whatever reason, he just had a fear of Chinese. And I think he particularly didn't like black people, but he feared the Chinese the most because he thought Chinese were equally smart or smarter than the white. Uh, he said something about Chinese are good at making money. And somehow he thinks that's equating to 
being smart, I guess, but... Yeah. You know, I have this joke I do. Yeah. It's about the difference between anti-Semitism and racism. Yeah. Well, there's a very simple way to explain that difference. Okay. Racism is when you hate people from the lower races. Oh. It's funny, but it does seem to have a merit because Jewish people do have, uh, whether it is a stereotype, but... Um, I mean, let's be honest, it, it, it's, it's, what is the percentage of Nobel Prize winners for Jewish people? I, I don't know. But the, it's, 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 it's massive. It's, it's, it's uh, way more than the percentage of Jewish people in the world. Yeah, know? but it could just be luck. I don't know. It's a massive um, uh, anomaly because it's, just, it's, it's, it's like, what, 18, 20% or something like that? And Jewish population is what, like less than 1% of the world? Yes. I, I'm not good with math, but let's say that figure is correct. That's like 20% of the world's Nobel Prize winners. I, I don't think it's a mistake. No, I don't think so either. No, and I think, uh, I mean, I, 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 also, I also know that rabbis usually have a highest level of education. Rabbi, I think, is in Hebrew for teacher or something like that. Yes. And I, I, I've talked to a couple of them. They're, they're the only religious group leader that seems to thrive when you question them. Many of the religious people seem to not liking that. So I, I think that's great. I mean, then was it Isaac or Abraham? Which one uh, kind of questioned God? Uh, uh, all of them, I think. But uh, <laughs> all of it. You know what I'm saying. Uh, um, I think Abraham didn't question God as much. Uh, but uh, Jacob is famous for wrestling with angels. I Jacob, see. Jacob's ladder. Yeah. And uh, I know um, Jonah. Yeah. You know the story of Jonah? Yes. Uh, you know, the guy with the whale fish. Yes. So he's one of the prophets, right? Yeah. And, and you know, normally prophets, the, the stories about the prophets work like this. So there's some place that are that is full of sinners. Yeah. Yeah. And God just picks someone normally yeah. not from that place and tells him to go to that place. Yeah. And tell them that they're going to die because they're sinners. I see. And uh, Jonah never really appreciated uh, uh, the job that he was given by God. Not that he had much else to do. Sure. Uh, but that's why he tried to get away on the boat and then they threw him overboard because God sent a storm because yes. he was trying to escape his job, you know? And then he was eaten by a whale fish. And as we both know today, whales are fish and yeah. fish aren't whales. But, and it threw him up on the beaches of Nineveh. So he goes into town and he tells them like, uh, you're all going to die. Yes. And, uh, and the people of Nineveh, they're so sorry. They're like, is there anything we can do? Uh, can we repent? Can God forgive us somehow? Sure. Uh, and Jonah's like, uh, calls his boss up and goes like, is there anything they can do about this? And, and God is like, nope, I've made up my mind. They're all going to die. Right. Yeah. So he, he's like, nope, there's nothing you can do. And then he just leaves town. Uh, uh, and they dress in, in like sackcloth and they cover their faces with ashes and, and they cry to God. And God actually changes his mind because uh, the God of the Old Testament is quite moody, bipolar in, in yeah. certain senses. Um, uh, and so he forgives them. And yes. then uh, Jonah gets very upset with this because he has done his part of the deed. You know? right. He's done his job. He's told them they're going to die. And then God just goes and changes his job description, basically. Right. So I, I think there's plenty of examples. in the. What does that mean when, when, when God does that as a scholar? Does that mean anything to you? you know, if you ask a rabbi, it probably means a thousand different things. I see. But uh, I, I was just using it as an example. People yeah. in, uh, like uh, uh, people in the Old Testament uh, question God quite a lot. 
What is that thing that uh, um, his name is Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish? Uh, yeah. Doesn't he talk something about Abraham's anguish where he is asked to kill his son? And I think the whole notion is the fact that you agonize through whether to comply and worship your God's wishes or not to do it because your responsibility to your son, the very fact that you're struggling with that, it's a sign that he is actually a moral person. A psychopath doesn't really struggle with the moral decisions. They just fucking do whatever, right? Yeah, yeah I think uh, Jews and Christians interpret that part of the Bible differently. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so for Jews, uh, it's a story where the moral is you shouldn't have human sacrifice and you shouldn't sacrifice your children. Yes. Not even for God. Right. Uh, and I think really, yeah, and I think Christians read it as a sort of pre-sacrifice of uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so for them, it's just something that uh, ties into the sequel, the New Testament. I call that the yeah. sequel, uh, or Bible <laughs> two. Yeah, just like Nagasaki's uh, sequel to Hiroshima, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. So that's why I, I I have to say when it comes to humor. Jews do make me laugh because they're not really worried about questioning things, you know. I, I, I think it's great because I, I think if you're Muslim, you're supposed to submit yeah. to Allah, right? And, Christ- and uh, Japanese are also very questioning, critical, individualist. I'm being sarcastic. Yes, they, 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 they don't like that. Um, okay. Um, so I think, I think questioning is part of Jewish culture. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows in science. You know, I think most Asian kids are very good at Math and science. I mean, math, n- not necessarily because we're smart, especially for Japanese and, and Chinese writing those Chinese characters over and over. Only way you can m- remember those Chinese characters repetitively re- writing them. So you almost have a, when your hand have a physical memory of writing certain characters, right? And that translates into math where you keep doing math equation and re- memorizing formula by repeatedly writing it over and over. And I think Asians do well because they work really, really hard. But to have scientific and mathematical discovery, you have to question the previous thinkers' theories and and, and refute that. And I think that's where Asians do not do very well because I think our cultures are not really raise us to question things. Whereas the Jews are really good because even the rabbis, they don't get mad. They they love the challenge and like arguing with people, you know. I, th- I think uh, it's wonderful, I think. I go, I'm just wondering how we got to this point yeah. from asking you about your process of writing your show, Adult Content. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> I'm not, see, that's why I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm performing preview 10 days from now, and next Sunday I will be doing preview in Washington State. I'm still struggling. I don't even, I don't know what to do about... Um, but you I'm, started writing it in 2020, right? Like. Uh, during the lockdowns. Yeah. Um, how, were, how were those lockdowns, by the way, for you? Did you continue performing? or? I will answer that uh, the story, if, if you could remind me. Um, COVID was wonderful for me. It was great. Uh, I was getting all kinds of financial assistance without even asked. I was living in, in Phoenix, and I was living in such an isolated place. I was more concerned with hyenas, wild pigs, scorpions, tarantula, and things like that, rattlesnakes, and more than anything. And- Where was this? North of Phoenix, it's a little, it's between Phoenix and Anthem, so it's middle of nowhere. Um, I, was, I was taking a bunch of online courses. 
I was uh, calling three to 10 people every day, make sure everybody's all right. I was reading and um, I got bored and I was walking 10, 11 miles a day, every day. So what you is, made the best of it. Yeah. I, I, but that's when you started writing adult content as well. Yeah, I, I wrote this one story and I, I got bored so one night I wrote it and something happened at the adult taboo, adult video store where I used to work in downtown Seattle in the late 90s. And I just remember something, I, I wrote it. My friend Rick Hall made an edited and grammatical correction. And once it was done, I put it on my Instagram with a couple of pictures and really didn't think too much of it. And I was surprised the overwhelming positive feedback. It was, it's not a really funny story at all. It's actually very sad. It's bittersweet, I guess. So I thought, wow, I didn't really expect that reaction. So maybe I could just think about writing things I remember. And over the years, you know, whether it's a joke or interesting trivia idea, I will write a sentence or paragraph, three by five cards, write them and just keep it in the bag, just piles and piles of that stuff, not knowing what I was going to do it. But I figured if something interesting popped in my head, might as well write it down and keep it. And maybe five, six months later, when I look at it, maybe I could remember now I could make joke out of it or something. So I did that. So last couple, three years, I thought I was going to make a book out of it. I wrote 16 stories. It's in my uh, website, adultcontent69.com. On the menu section, there's like 16 or 17 short stories, you know, it's there. But last year, I went to French Fest because one of the female, act uh, one of the actresses was performing a story about Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm -hmm. It piqued my interest. So I thought, ah, oh, I've never been to Scotland. I would like to see the show. And I told a couple of people that I'm visiting Scotland for a day. And somebody said, um, well, you know a kid named Anthony Schumann, new comic in Washington State, why don't you meet up with him? So, so after I saw Gene Maxwell's show, I, told, I saw Anthony, and he was telling me how it was going for him. He was doing a show. Anthony's uh, quite young, he's a lot younger than myself. He served in US Army. He was in, I think, near Kandahar, the spiritual home of Taliban. He and four or five other company of army soldiers, one of them stepped on IED and they just flew, blow up. Uh, luckily, everybody survived, but he's suffering from PTSD and he started doing comedy. And I think he was basically talking about his PTSD and, and, and trying to be a father, you know. And uh, he was performing and I saw him and he told me everything that was good about the festival and everything that was bad. And I, it kind of piqued my interest. So. I thought, oh, why don't I, instead of finishing the book, trying to do the show there and see if people like it or not. But I didn't realize until recently, I think it was more of my, I think I needed to be someplace and have a structure of doing something every day because there's part of me, I was worried that I go to Japan and find my stepmother because I blame her for my father's death. I'll find her and beat the shit out of her again, you know? So I thought, go Scotland. Scotland's also one of the two places my dad want to go. First one is America, which he did. He never had a chance to go to Scotland. So I thought, do the show, make a productive month out of it, talk about a big chunk of my life. So you're going to be there for a month, the entire month? I'll be there from August 1st through at least August 27th. Wow. It's a beautiful city, Edinburgh. I only, I, the, the two times I went, I'm literally there for like 12, 18 hours. I fly in, check the town, take the bus, go to London. So I haven't even, even slept a night there, but um, interesting place. I, 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 uh, 
It's the home of David Hume, Adam Smith. Happy birthday, Adam Smith. He turned uh, 300 years, June 16, 1723. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And uh, you continually surprise me. Why? Well, you, when, uh, first of all, because your interests are so special. I mean, uh, the porn, the serial killers, the terrorists. I, I have a wondering, you know how uh, women get mad when you have, we have a wondering eyes? Yeah. I have a wondering mind. I can't really concentrate. Like, I know for a fact, someone like you, you could sit down, read heavy, heavy, difficult book like Christopher Lash or... Well, I, I, have, fo- I have the focus of the samurai. You, you, you could read those books, but not only that, you could read it and make com- you could come freehand what you're reading. And stuff like this beyond me. So when I cannot read original text, I have to read a book about that to kind of give me some sense of what's going on. And, uh, you know, when you go to New York City, if you go um, Nobu, which is a famous sushi place, he is partner of Robert De Niro. That restaurant is so popular, if you can't get in, you go to another restaurant next to it, which Nobu owns called Next to Novo. So since I cannot understand the original text, I have to go second or third, third source. And there's no shame, like when you try something, you don't have apt to do or something. But if you have an interest, you could, you could put any efforts, you know? And uh, I, I did that. But you're gonna be doing your show pretty much every day then, for almost a month. April, I mean, August 4th through 26th, minus two Sundays. So um, why you go to church on Sundays, Yoshi? No, that's that's what they told us. They, 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 there's those two nights they um, I'm not doing shows. I guess I only pay for the 19 days. Do you know what venue it is? Oh yeah, I think it's oh, oh my god, Greenside something green. Sorry, <laughs> if you go French Fest website and, and and show or the performance name, if you put Yoshi, it will say Yoshi Obayashi's adult content will pop up. So last time you went, uh, you went solely to see a show about Ghislaine Maxwell, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein's wife. Ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. Yes. Uh, because you have an unhealthy obsession with her. Uh, I, have, I have obsession with uh, her and many other things. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's unhealthy. You know, um, I think you ask me this, and I have many people asking. They always say, you must be fucking sick to want to know stuff about serial killers, serial rapists, uh, terrorists. Uh, financial criminals and things like that. And on the surface, I, I, I understand why people say it, but I think, I don't think you would say the same thing if a scientist is studying about disease. They're not pro-disease. They want to study disease to how we could learn to have uh, trying to eradicate it and find 
cure for those diseases. Just like if somebody's obsessed with cancer or something, they're not pro-cancer. <laughs> or somebody who's studying war is not pro-war. They want to know what caused it, how do you prevent it, and how we man um, um, minimize it, right? So my feeling is these people are doing things that is abhorrent, trying to figure out what happened to their childhood that happened this. And if we know the certain life experience contributed to this kind of behavior, we need to try to eliminate that for betterment of uh, humanity, right? So whenever people say sick, I just think two things could be true. Yes, it is kind of sick, but there is some necessity to study something like that. Yeah, but I mean, you go, I mean, you, you went to her trial and you get, got in the day she was... I went to multiple days and uh, um, if, you, if you go in and couldn't get in the actual courtroom where she's sitting, they'll take you to the secondary room, the court that looks exactly the real room, except it's full of TV monitors. So you're sitting in the very same seat where she's sitting nearby it. There's a TV and you can actually watch the case, if as though you're in the same room. And um, I got sick and tired of going secondary room. So every day I go early and early and every day I don't get in. Maybe there's one person extra ahead of me or two. So I got sick of it. So I went December 29th and said, I'm fucking going there at 1 and 32 in the morning, stand all night in line to get in. And the reason why there was a limited amount of space is because it was still uh, somewhat height of a COVID. fear of COVID. So you can only have four civilians and four uh, journalists, which is a lie because a lot of times, Whoever takes four spot for journalists, other journalists pretend like they're civilian and take the civilian spot. But I was the only non-journalist. So there's eight of us getting every day. Just pure coincidence, they, the day I got in is the day they had a verdict for her. So... Um, and how many years did you get? I can't, I can't remember. 10, 15 years, maybe 20. And you told me that you thought that she only got convicted because Jeffrey died of natural causes? I, <laughs> Yes, I think if Jeffrey Epstein was alive, I believe that the, the state will use her as a state witness, testify against him, and probably give her minimal punishment, right? What is that thing that uh, Machiavelli called? There, there's a fortune of war. There's a luck involved or unlucky involved in, in you know, history of mankind. And uh, what, what, what can I say? You know, it, it, it was unlucky for her. There's, I, I can't remember, there was another lady who ended up marrying one of the NASCAR stars. She was also assisting, Caroline something, if I remember right. She was assisting to uh, Jeffrey Epstein and she was also procuring young girls. And worse yet, she was also taking naked pictures of teenage girls, which is considered ch child porn. But some, for some reason, nobody went after her, you know. So I don't understand why they will only selectively pick people. And I think sometimes government went look want to have a clean cut, they want to look good, they don't want to complicate things. You know, I think in the previous part I talked about, I know a guy named Joshua Nichols, who is son of Terry Nichols, one of the two guys bombed Oklahoma City in 1995. And I believe, I, 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 I believe there's more than two guys who are involved in this thing, but FBI, FBI and the US government want to have a clean cut, clean ending to it, because for those of you listening to this in Europe, None of this stuff makes sense, but this was a very tumultuous 90s. You know, we had a Ruby Ridge incident where FBI shot and killed uh, Randy Weaver's wife in Idaho, a place called Ruby Ridge. There was a bit of a shooting match over nothing, really, in my opinion. And because of the disaster, Ruby Ridge led to Waco because they were trying to arrest this religious nut and try to make a scene and make project this 
competence by the U.S. government, well, it backfired. It was a disaster. Yeah, the way it goes. Branch Davidians, and uh, I've been there three or four times. And uh, why? Why do you go to these places? That's what I brought up, Ghislaine Maxwell, because you, you've gone I, I to think, her home. Mm -hmm. You've gone to almost all homes that Jeffrey Epstein I went to everyone except for the pedophile island, St. James, yeah. And, and Waco three times, Kabul three times. Yeah. Uh, like any time uh, we, we start talking and um, uh, the name of a serial killer comes up, which if one talks to you, Yoshi, they yeah. come up all the time. Yeah. Uh, you've been to their home, you've been to their school, you've been to the cemetery with their families. Not all of them, but at least the major... <laughs> The major stars, uh, all stars of serial killers, for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, which serial killers, killers' homes have you been to? Well, the the, the big ones, obviously, like uh, Ted Bundy, um, Gary Ridgway, aka Green River Murder in Washington State. I went to um, David Berkowitz, aka cool. Son of Sam. I went to uh, Joffrey Dahmer in Wisconsin. I went to. Um, Boston Strangler, uh, Hillside Strangler. I went to, I think they call him Candyman, Dean Coral in down in Houston. I went to, what's her name? The female serial killer that Shelley Theron played in the uh, movie Monster. I went, uh, I, I, I'm kind of blanking her name, but I went to her, um, the hotel that he, she used to sleep in, in, in um, Florida, near Daytona. There's a bar that she used to hang out. In the back of the bar, they used to keep a coffin. And she used to sleep in the coffin. I took a picture of me sleeping in that coffin as well. And, um, and what do you have? Fish, who is, I believe he was Jewish, and he ate children. Ate children? He murdered them and he ate them, yeah. Albert Fish. I went to, um, I went recently to, um, why am I blanking his name? He was a pedophile in Washington State in Vancouver, Washington. I went to this park where he lured these two kids, and I was a kid at the time, and uh, I'm blanking his name, I could see his, oh, uh, uh, not Dalton, what is it? God damn it, I'm blanking. I could see his face, but anyway, yeah, he, um, he raped both of these boys and just killed them. I went to that park in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, I met John Mohammed, one of the DC snipers. Um, and that was a fairly recent one, I think, because I, I was in Canada to South... This is like 20 two, years ago, 2003, yeah. 2005 or something, yeah. 2002, 2003, because <laughs> I remember it was on the news. Yeah. And it was quite special because it was like a, a, a black guy and his nephew, right? And, and they had... They're not related, but he, they, he was calling him his nephew. Okay, and they had converted like their car so you could... You could shoot from the back of the trunk, yeah. And it was so random. You know, like someone like Ted Bonnie will always kill slender, attractive white women with brunette. And that was kind of similar thing in, uh, um, I shouldn't be laughing, but um, David Berkowitz. So there was a panic with all the women changing their hairstyle and things like that, you know. But I think someone like John Mohammed and uh, um, that kid that was going around murdering people, the, the, mur the murder victims were so random, just like Richard Ramirez. But they were all white, weren't they? I, I don't know, I'm just asking you, you're the expert. I, I, I can't remember. Um, so do you believe in evil? It's a big question, I know, but you seem to be so fascinated with it. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm interested because I think I don't like... I, I was so naive, you know, 1988 when I graduated from high school, I worked at Michael Dukakis' campaign, right? I liked him because he's 
Greek. I love Greek people. I like Greek mythology. I like Greek mythology because they believe in patricide, that the idea of killing one's father, mm -hmm. I think it's necessary. I, I believe that's a really good concept because you cannot have a new order unless you kill the old. So our founding fathers killed our old father, the King George, to create a new and better country. And patricide is an abhorrent idea in Asia because we have a tendency to have a cult of personality like people like Mao Zedong and Kim Jong-un. But there's been figures like that where you just automatically assume any old Asian man on top should be sacred and, and you, you shouldn't challenge them. And I think this is a particular part I like the Greeks and also Jews like questioning things and take matters in hands and get rid of tyrannical. Yeah, but the question was, do you believe in evil? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily believe in like the way biblical people say, but there is uh, perversion and corruption. And when I call myself pervert, I don't mean like pervert, like capital P. It's what I'm saying, like, there's most guys are pervert in a, in a cute, silly way and out of weakness. But I think when I say perversion with a capital P, I think that's almost like a biblical sense, I think. It's, 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 it's turning away from something, something that is good and decent and virtuous, you know. And if you want to call that God, that's fine. If, you, if you're a free market person, you, you know, that maybe that's a communism for you. But I think something sacred is necessary. And I, I, don't, I didn't feel like this until, relatively speaking, from, I think things changed for me in 2017, you know. How so? I, I went, um, this is kind of really, <laughs> kind of silly. One, one time uh, I was working at um, my friend Brandon Irons' gangbang. I was doing paperwork because sometimes he hires me to do gangbang paperwork. So there are a bunch of guys with one girl and somebody could do the paper to, per, to prove they're 18 years old and they're HIV negative. So Brandon paid me to do the paperwork. So right? you were an administrator in in this porn situation. Yeah, and you have a bunch of like dysfunctional, antisocial idiots, you know. And there's like 15 to 20, maybe even like 25, 30 of them, right, with the one girl. But I remember there was two guys arguing with each other, right? They're both standing naked, keep stroking their dick, make sure they could hard. When they're given a chance, they they have to see do it to see with the girl. They have to be ready. But one guy was Protestant, other one was Catholic, and they're arguing over that. And I thought, I thought kind of absurd that two guys stroking their dick, one guy said superiority to Catholicism, and the other one said superiority to Protestant, right? And the one thing that they were getting all angry, they keep mentioning August 31st, 1517, over and over. That is the day when Martin Luther put 95 Theses in the church, protesting against the corruption of Catholic Church. The Reformation. Reformation starts on that day. So they, so like, I went, they, I was sent, to church as a kid, and I think most Korean Koreans think to be Presbyterian. Presbyter, I think, means like elder, kind of compatible with their culture, which is that older men running the whole society, and that particular brand of Christianity was compatible with the Koreans. Anyway, he was going back and forth, and I remember like 1517. So they the, were having a religious argument at the, 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 the gangbang. Yeah. At a gangbang. Yeah. So a filmed gangbang, so yeah. a porn shoot. So there's always something absurd happened. Live in LA with narcissism, show business, porn, you know. So it's kind of amusing to see that. But I remember that day, and I remember October 31st, 2017. I thought, oh, why don't I go to that part, that uh, town in Germany, and check it out, the uh, 500 year anniversary? So um, I've been traveling for historical reasons. When I lost my job in 2012, 
and I don't know. I mean, I don't mind spending my own money to go in places, anniversary and things like that. Check it out. And I was very impressed. There were so many Americans of all faith kind of celebrating this important day, the start of Reformation. And I think no, it's- No Catholics though, right? Ah, uh, I can't remember. You should have asked. I, I think there was a lot of Methodists and kind of people like that. A lot of from, uh, for some reason, Minneapolis, uh, like Minnesota or something, I remember. But they were just like, well, it's great. You know, even if you're not religious, this is just wonderful that you're here. And they were, I, I was surprised how several and kind they were, you know, um, contrary to depiction that television and movies make in Hollywood, right? And I think more I travel this country in America, more often than not, religious people tend to be way better than the way they're presenting it in um, television movies. And so-called liberal people, in actuality, when you spend time with them, tend to be more narrow-minded and kind of pricky. Mm-hmm. And I don't like them, you know. But you, you don't, uh, you're not religious yourself. I wasn't brought up religion at all, but although I was sent to Catholics for seventh and eighth grade. Really? Yeah. Here in the States? Or yeah, back? yeah, yeah. And I'm not against it. I just don't like, if you're religious and being hypocritical, I don't like that. But my friend LJ, he's an African-American Catholic, he doesn't like Obama because he's, as a Catholic, it's, it's an aberration to kill babies. And I love LJ because he never, ever bend. He, he, he is who he is. I'm not gonna bend just because the guy looks like me and his whole family's mad at him. But I love people like that. I love people that really believe what they believe. And even if it's not popular, they don't give a fuck. And, and I usually get along with people like that more because he cleared the do not condone my lifestyle, but he knows that I don't lie and I don't do bullshit either. So we respect each other to get along. And I don't know if you know Glenn Greenwald, the journalist. The journalist, yes. I love the guy. He said something really interesting. I didn't know her husband passed away and he was sick for a long time. And his adversary in politics in Brazil was Catholic, I think. I'm pretty sure he's Catholic, anti-homosexuality. But it's interesting. Because Glenn, Glenn is gay. Hmm? Glenn is gay. Yes. When Glenn's husband was sick, and, and clearly her husband, his husband was uh, dying, his, his political allies would show up for like two minutes, five minutes, say hello, take a picture with a sick person, and leave. Good publicity. But this man who was religious and, and against homosexuality would show up every single day, spend hours next to him. Yes, he doesn't condone his life, but he doesn't hate the guy. And I think that's the part that we don't see enough in this country. Just because somebody's in different politics and they don't agree with you, that doesn't mean that uh, you can't be friend with them. And this is what's so sad about this country. It's just a lot of Americans are naive and not serious. Childish, I'm like, why do I, why do you, they don't have to agree with everything that I believe to be a friend. We're in a very silly phase. They're easily offended. Yeah. They don't have, Many of the young kids don't have uh, um, tenacity. They're weak. And they haven't done due diligence to find out why does someone that think different from me, is it possible that uh, I could be wrong? Isn't Carl Jung said the best way to know if you're a good person is to admit that your capacity to be evil. And these liberal people that I meet in Hollywood, it just never even occurred to them that they could be wrong and evil. It's the worst. And I, I, I noticed that uh, I have a respect for conservative and religious more often than not. And I'm a scumbag pervert working pornography, but I respect religious people because they believe what they believe. 
And you know, you know this as well as I do. Conservatives know more about liberal position than liberal people know more about conservative. Because Absolutely. Most, yeah, and most because most conservatives gone to church, so they have a incredible biblical sense of the universe. They know the Old Testament. They know the New, and more sophisticated religious Christian, they tend to know a little bit about other religion. And nothing makes the world better than when you understand other people's religion. You know. Yeah. But the, these liberal people, like when you talk to these young kids in LA and stuff, if you say promised land, the, the, the belly of the beast, you know, or how... Biblical expressions. Biblical expression, or when Martin Luther talk about, you know, like uh, Moses in the 40 years in the desert, you know, this is like a common thing that um, most black and Latinos gone to churches understand. Those liberal white kids devoid of those knowledge, you know, so they they have a silly notion of the universe, which is like the, their egocentric view. They don't have ex expansive view of the universe. You don't have to be religious, but you should have some notion of that. How could you read Shakespeare's work not knowing how King James Version Bible had a huge influence in it? How could you not, how, how do you appreciate Milton's Paradise Lost and not having some sense of a religious text, you know? Or Dante's Inferno. Yeah, Paradiso and uh, Purgatorio and things like that. I, th I think it's necessary, you know. When you when you look at um, Gilgamesh... I'm sorry, Divina Commedia. Huh? Uh, Dante's Divina Commedia, no? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, it, it's, it's, um, it's hard to know others, other culture, if you don't know yours. So I don't, I'm, I know I'm a minority, but I'm not particularly a big fan of multicultural stuff, because I think, you have only four years, and if you study a little bit of everything, all you learn is super, superficiality. I think just because I'm not white, I should know a bit about Western civilization because America is heavily influenced by that. Yes. And, 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 and uh, if you don't know... Well, a prime example is uh, Hamtram, right? Michigan? Yeah. That little town, have you heard of it? No. So uh, it used to be like a Polish Catholic town, yeah. but very progressive, like a Democrat. Yeah. Right? And they took in a lot of Muslims. Yeah. Uh, and now it's a Muslim majority town, I think. Probably okay. the only Muslim majority town. Yeah. And everyone on the city council is a Muslim man. Yeah. Not no Muslim women, of course, just yeah. Muslim men. And they just outlawed uh, pride flags. Okay. So the liberals in Hamtrank, they now feel betrayed. Yes. Because, you know, they thought, we, were, we let you in when everyone else was xenophobic against you. Yeah. No one wanted you to live in their area. Yeah. And now we have minarets and, and you pray to Allah five times a day. Yeah. And we can't celebrate pride. Because, right. So uh, uh, they didn't understand what religion they took in. Yes. Yeah, they, they, they had no idea. They just wanted to seem good. Yes. Like your Hollywood celebrities. They didn't really care about... Uh, the values of a socially conservative Muslim person. Yeah, but I, I, I understand because I, I, I never thought, remembering that 9-11, 2001, when within a short amount of time people realized it had something to do with a um, group of men. What were, happened then? <laughs> that Muslim men had something to, something to do with it. And, um, but to see recently where so many Muslim parents are fighting against school board for this crazy thing that they're doing, which is sexualizing kids. You Allah Akbar, yeah. you know, like a God bless them, you know, because I think 
Look, you're only going to be. Kid. I think uh, personally, I think it's a mistake of conservatives uh, and Christians in this country to ally themselves with uh, Islam because I think Islam has a different agenda. Uh, because when I meet uh, conservatives here, yeah, they seem to accept, for instance, homosexuality. I yeah, mean, they, they they don't want their kids to learn about it in school. But yeah. if you're a homosexual, they'll yeah. accept you for it. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, it's quite the same in Islam. Not yet, because Islam, unlike Christianity, hasn't had a reformation, nor have they had a renaissance or an enlightenment. So uh, when you go to the Middle East, and you've, well, probably say, be, you've probably been to the Middle East, haven't you? Yes, but I have to say, who saved most of those Aristotle and Plato's treaties, books, that, during the Dark Ages? It was Muslims, you know? It, it, yes, but it was... Uh, uh, are you talking about Ottomans or Arabs? Well, I mean, if you want to get <laughs> that technical, I'm, I'm not sure which 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 was doing what. I just know that during Dark Ages, um, including those Irish Catholic monks who were yes, doing... Yes, but this was before the Reformation, yeah, before it, the Renaissance, and before the Enlightenment. And in that world, comparatively, the Muslim world was enlightened. Yes. If you compared it to the Christian world yes. at the time. And I'm sure some Muslim have, uh, scholars have a probably explanation what happened. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue because I don't think I know enough. No, but, no, no uh, it's fine. But um, but I, I also know that, boy, it, it, it is very hard to resist American pop culture, which is America's, one of America's religion, you know. Yeah. And I think I have met enough moderate Muslims in America. I, I don't necessarily have that big of a fear about that, but you, you could quite well be right. You know, I, who to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to even dispute because I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I will say that I'm comfortable with them. Uh, but you're right, they, they, they did not have reformation. Um, and they don't have religious leader like Pope for Catholic and so on. Um, but um, but I, yeah, I, I, I definitely have a different attitude of religion because I didn't like it growing up because you grew up in Japan and nobody teaches religion. As soon as you move here, they start throwing all this idea that I, I don't know what they're talking about. Like Mary was pregnant without having sex. Like I don't understand I'm from Japan. We, you know, we, we take science classes, right? And then, uh, then later on I realized it, it, it doesn't literally have to be true. You know, what is that story in the Greek mythology where a turtle and a rabbit's racing? And it's rabbit, take, yeah. yeah. So I, obviously that never happened, but it is a nice story to teach young kids about tenacity and take things seriously and so on. So there's some value in things that is not real. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree on that. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I think in terms of what those religions going to do in the future, I, I have no idea. But I think I'm more tolerant about that. I just don't like more of what's going on in Hollywood and stuff. It really irritates me because I deal with them more often than that. And they're more of a threat to me doing my comedy and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. they want to censor you. Yeah, I mean, religious people don't like it, but at least if you're fair, like, all right, you made a good point, you know. I mean, when I hear one uh, Christian group saying Mormons are cult and ridiculing them by saying they're superstitious, like, I'm, t I'm sorry to tell you, but you're superstitious too, if you believe in something. Yeah, but so, so because we got here from the question of yeah. you, do you believe in evil? So do you believe Ted Kaczynski, Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein, Son of Sam, were they evil? Jeffrey Dahmer? God, this is a, I, I don't know how to answer this one because they all seem to have a traumatic childhood, ex, 
experience. Jeffrey, did he have a tra traumatic childhood, Jeffrey Epstein? Ghislaine Maxwell didn't have a traumatic childhood. Oh, sure, she? because uh, when she was born, he, her oldest brother got killed in car accident and neglect her. And um, because she was neglected, she had this need to please her father all the time, and her father was very abusive. And Robert Maxwell was also lived in very traumatic because he barely survived Holocaust in um, World War II. And basically everyone in his village was killed. Who, who was he? Robert Maxwell was a big media tycoon in the same level of Robert, uh, um, Rupert Murdoch. And in fact, they were bitter rivals. Um, and what did he do? He, Robert Maxwell was a big tycoon, owned a media company and newspapers. And uh, he grew up in very tumultuous and problematic and very difficult childhood because as a Jewish person in, in poverty, he didn't have enough food and, 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 and constant survival because they're always, as you know, they were trying to eliminate Jews. And I think uh, he was also known to be extremely smart, good with languages. He used his language skill, his uh, charm, intelligence to sell intelligence to all kinds of different groups, Bulgarian, Romanian, French, I'm sure Mossad, and Russian and English. That's why he was able to travel so many different places during World War II because he had an incredible ability to speak different languages, you know. And uh, when he lost his family, I think there's only thing I know about Robert Maxwell that when he showed grief, he, have a, he had a habit of looking at any Holocaust documentary over and over, he's probably seen just about everything because he was hoping and hoping to see his mother and father somehow, a footage of them. And I think there's only one time he broke down when he went to Israel. There's some very famous religious wall. He, this man just broke down and cried. Yeah, it's called the Wailing Wall. Is that what it was? I, I, it's, okay. it's, uh, it's part of the old Jewish temple. Yeah, he, A lot of people, when they see it for the first time, start crying, not only Jews. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that he was a good person. He did some terrible things, but I think when you grow up in that circumstance when people are trying to kill you and you're impoverished and when your entire village is wiped out and the uh, only thing that he could do is just constantly look in those documentary of, of Jews getting killed. But he was not a serial killer. No, 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 no. But he, 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 he wasn't he was, the head of a sex ring or a trafficking uh, ring. No, no, but he, he was definitely had to keep changing his name, changing his personality to survive. He had an opportunity, and the opportunity he found was he somehow got a money from some intelligence agency, maybe prior agency before CIA or something, possibly. OSS. Oh, yes, and, and, and maybe MI5 or MI6. I always get one of those confused. One of those Western intelligence agencies provided him a huge, huge sum of money, and if I remember right, he bought a bunch of scientific textbooks. Mm -hmm. So during the World War II, many scientists wrote a textbook. And because during the war, they were not able to sell books. Also, there's not a whole lot of money in text. But what he did was he bought warehouse after warehouse full of uh, uh, scientific books. And when the scientists were writing this book, they were just grateful that anybody would buy them. At the end of the war, when they have to rebuild those countries, any scientist, that's when he started making money by selling those scientific textbooks all over the world. And he parlayed that money into other ventures like media. So, newspapers, you know. But so, how did we come in, uh, how, how did we start discussing him? I asked you about evil and Oh, because you, said, because you asked him Ghislaine, and I don't think she was born, I don't think she's a psychopath. 
psychopaths are born that way, but I think many of them have a traumatic experience. So, so would you say psychopaths are evil? I, I, the evil thing is so, um, it means different thing to different people. So um, obviously there are people who do evil things, obviously. Yes, all yes. the time. I, I, all, all the time. It is a mental illness and, and because they're born psychopath. Let's, okay, let's say for argument's sake, psychopath, being psychopath is evil, then I guess if that's the case, then some people are born evil. But sociopath is something that traumatic experience in their environment made them sociopath. So if you grow up in a terrible environment and you turn evil, did you choose to be evil or the circumstance made you evil? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I think you, you'll be better off talking to some religious figure. I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to it. But, uh, I, I ask you because you seem so fascinated with these people. I, I'm fascinated because I, I'm, I, I don't know the solution to prevent something from happening. But if I talk about this enough times, my feeling is somebody smart will figure out something. That's my hope, you know. I'm trying to expand people's imagination by saying these are the oldest weird things happen. Because every time I talk to some young kid, he doesn't know any of these things, you know. Yeah. Well, you told me yesterday that, um, what was it, uh, that uh, when you come to a new place and you've been like, you've been to every state except three in the United States, you've traveled the world quite extensively. Yeah. Uh, and the first thing you want to know when you come to a new place is, oh, te yeah. tell me about your sex scandals, your murders. Terrorists, your serial killers. Yeah. yeah. Because you think that says more about them. Yeah, there was a guy named... Shohei Imamura, he's one of the great Japanese directors. He, he used to work for Ozu, who is considered to be one of the greatest directors of all time. He made a movie called Tokyo Story, which is always in top 10 greatest movie of all time. Anyway, Ozu present ideal version of everyone's life, right? This is what Imamura called waste up, the stuff that you present yourself day to day, the good side. Imamura interested in waste down, the pussy, dick, asshole, and dirty feet side of your society. So, and, and when you have these terrible things, what does it say about your society? You know, what, were they born like that or did, did the society created them, right? Like, isn't that sociologist Durkheim say that? He said that people commit certain kind of crime because society is sick. If a society is sick, they create sick people. I'm not going to get into it because, you know, pe people have a different agreement. Like some people, the religious people say they're born evil. And John Rousseau, doesn't he say that people are born naturally good? I, I, I kind of go back and forth on that, a lot of that stuff. But I love going to those places, study it. And I just want to pass this story down to young people. And I know, even with all these millennials acting like a spoiled and, and idiotic, the, every generation always surprised you by great individuals and leaders and scholars and things like that. So when I talk about these things, the listeners going to whatever the field you want to go and trying to solve solution for it, you know. But I talk about sex because I think it's a necessary conversation. People feel uncomfortable talking about it. People feel uncomfortable talking about money. Those are the two main subject matters that I think most people are diff uh, uncomfortable talking. Religion probably is like a you know third place or something like that. Yeah, and but that, money and, is, and, those, and those two are your main interests, really. You you're fascinated by the ultra rich, and you're fascinated by, uh, uh, well, what should I say? Sex maniacs. Yeah, it's almost like that thing that you see in Godfather. Remember? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the puppeteer. The, so you have that string. I just think a lot of people are motivated by money and sex. You know. Yeah. Well, and so did Freud. 
yeah. So, 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 you know, when I when I graduated high school, I just saw a lot of impoverished people, including myself. I mean, compared to the really really poor people, we we were okay. But why? What is poverty just perpetual and permanent thing that you can never resolve? And why are certain people richer than others? And are they rich because they're righteous? They work hard. You know, the Protestant work ethic, yeah. right? Like God. Country, uh, family. Yeah, God uh, rewarded you because you're righteous and virtuous and you work really hard. So does that mean like if you're poor, God is punishing you, right? So people, so some people feel comfortable like not helping the poor because they feel like this is just a natural divine punishment. punishment. But I, I don't know if, that, if I don't know if that's the case. But um, I'm deeply fascinated, and I don't like people suffering unnecessarily. You know. You learn more about society, how they treat the poor and women and minorities, you know. And I love this country, but there's times it's, it's, it's a bit shameful how we treat them. So um, I, like, I like talking to them because they really fascinate me. It's a really good, fun conversation. But hopefully you have many smart listeners, hopefully many young kids. Maybe they will study sexology. I don't know, if that, I don't know what's the proper term, studying sex and sexual deviancy or finance, or maybe there's a new discipline that we, we haven't really considered. Maybe it's a combination of economics and sexuality, and we, maybe we don't have a... a Sexonomics. Yeah, no, seriously, maybe, maybe there is need for that. I think some of the things that Bernie Madoff was doing seemed like it was a, out of the sexual frustration or trying to literally financially rape those people. So maybe there is an element, element of psychology, economics, and, and, and um, sexual deviancy and um, sexual fantasy. Maybe there need to be a new discipline, you know. Who knows, maybe in 20, 30, 40 years, maybe years after I die, there is a branch of a, a Nobel Prize for economics that have something to do with sexual deviance and economics. Yoshiology. <laughs> We have to go perform yeah, yeah, we're now, gonna go So uh, I just want to thank you for participating in the podcast for the third time in less than 24 hours. Yeah. This is our third recording. No, but I, I, hopefully I, I, this it's one really, sticks. It, it's really fun talking to you. It's, it's, it's really fun to talk to my friend, Joy Kurtzman, obviously Jewish. And because, you know, the way you guys think, the way you think and talk, you literally dance with your words. You literally dance with your ideas, you know. A lot of my other friends, they're, they're not stupid. They're more street smart. But their attitude is like, why the fuck do you give a shit about that? But those are the, these are the ideas that move the world, you know. Yes. Anyway, I want to thank you Thanks, for, man. for inviting me to Memphis. And I want to thank you Thanks for... Thanks for killing it, doing a great job. And uh, everybody was very pleased with the show. And uh, uh, I can't wait till we keep doing shows, work on projects in the future, because I think... People really enjoy hearing that. Same here, Joshi. Thank you for listening to Deconstructed Criticism. This episode's guest was Yoshi Obayashi. You can find Yoshi on social media, and if you want to see more of Yoshi, I strongly recommend that you go see him at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, where he will perform in his one-man show, Adult Content. Thank you for supporting this podcast, whether it's on Patreon at patreon.com slash Aaron Flam, via PayPal with Bitcoin or on Swish 0046-768-943737. 0046-768-943737. 
You are truly a capitalist hero. You can also support me by buying my book, This is a Swedish Tiger, on Amazon, and maybe find out why the state of Sweden prosecuted me for years just for writing that book. I am Aaron Flam. Until next time, have a good unit of time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.